0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with Jet Tila, and we're going to get into a whole slew of different things. Um, we were just together doing some television shooting, we've done it a couple of times now, and we had a really interesting conversation in the car, which kind of blew my mind, and, and, uh, and
1: so here we are. Jet, welcome hey what's up chris um how's it going man you went right for the gut shot I like
0: uh, no but it's, no it's
1: a good thing it's a good thing no really it was <sighs> look I, I think you know
0: a lot of people have seen you compete people have seen you on whether it's guys grocery games or guys ranch they've you know you've been on toc which is tournament of champions for folks out there and Guy talks about, a lot, about all the really crazy cool stuff you've done. So let's start off with the Guinness book, the Guinness records. Okay. So can you can you start with those? Because that's kind of crazy. Not many people can say they have Guinness records, right?
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I have, I currently believe I have six culinary world records. Um, and <laughs> I know, uh, I think what, what, what people will find interesting. So pre- previous to television, my, my background, Part of my background was working um, in a, at a company called Bon Appetit uh, Management. And not a lot of like people who watch television know that there's this entire world of what we call like a corporate food service. So I was like the first team at Google who did the first Asian, second team post IPO. First, you know, the guys who didn't make a bazillion dollars is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> um, while, so I used to do a lot of the big tech companies, universities, and then while I was there, Um, you know, we were a big company. We fed 20,000 people a day in one campus and we had hundreds of campuses. So we understood big food. Um, So one of the things that we wanted to do was to break a world record. And the first culinary world record I attempted to break was the world's largest Pad Thai, right? Like like 500 pounds. Um, I, I submitted it to Guinness and they're like, sorry, a Pad Thai is technically a stir fry. And that record currently is like 800 pounds. And, and, you know,
0: hundred you know, pounds is the record.
1: It was at that point. And I was like, well, screw you guys. Then I'm going to break the world record. I mean, we're going to go all the way. So I'm going to give you this very short story. Um, I broke the first world record. that first stir fry. I did like a thousand pounds. Someone came over the top at two or three, and then I topped them again at 4,000. So, um, uh, How and, and do th- you stir fry 4,000 pounds. <laughs> Yeah. The Guinness is really very strict about um, world records. Anything from a culinary point of view has to be done just like it's a, a portion of like four, right? Like a restaurant portion. So I had to, I crafted a uh, 25 foot wide pan, right? A quarter inch steel, 25, uh, uh, welded together into a circle. I'll put a six inch lip on it. Um, we sunk it over about I would say about three thousand pounds of charcoal with a giant crane. Uh, we use giant pizza peels and like long extended. You know those those of us have cooked on tilt skillets. Know that we have we have big paddles and we just went for it. I did it at the University of Massachusetts at, at Amherst, which has been my partner for three world records. So that's it, dude. It, it just started from like you can't do this. Someone was like, it's not possible, and I was like, hold my beer and. And 20 years later in Six World Records, there's just been a lot of those, dude.
0: Isn't it it funny? You just said something and I think is really important. You can't do that. How -hmm. many times have you heard that and been like, you know what, fuck you, I can. (laughs) I think that's a really important thing because when I was younger, that was what I was told. You're never gonna make it as a chef Mm -hmm. or maybe you should think about doing this. The power of being told you can't, it's kind of like telling, uh, telling your teenager, you know what? You shouldn't drink. And what is the kid going to do? Oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> right away. Cool idea, dad. And what do they do? They run out. and They're like
1: in the corner. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm going to expand your point even wider, though, I think. I think you bring up the one good point. I think going off that, there is a common thread in, in the people uh, that do what we do in the women and the men and everyone who wears the white coat. I think we are, we are naturally kind of rebellious. We are naturally thrill seekers. So I think it's a personality profile, right?
0: Oh yeah. It's definitely a person. I mean, somebody said to me the other day, you know, cooking is still the last bastion of pirates left. Right. Wow. It's like a bunch of, It's kind of like, I I look at it with the idea of, and I I go back to skateboarding a lot because that's powerful memories of my childhood. And I think that's what skateboarding was, is everybody is allowed to be themselves, but they're all participating in the same thing and you support them. And I think that's what the restaurant is, right? It's like, you're a band of misfits all getting together to make the meal go perfectly. And I think that's amazing, right? It's like, I don't care who you are and what you choose to be in life. And as long as we're all working together to make food great, like make people- I love that.
1: So so I run with a a pretty hardcore group of um, uh, military and ex-military guys. And I think cooking, we are the anti-military, right? Because we have to work as a unit. We each have specialties and we have missions every day, but we're not like put together. <laughs> we're not, you know, we're like, we are pirates. So to your point, I think I think you exactly nailed it. <laughs> the anti-military. Yeah. But
0: right, nobody we, has to shave properly. You know, nobody has to have the, the, the buzz no. call the crew. But there is a
1: chain of command.
0: There is a chain yeah. of command
1: right? There are mission parameters. Things need to get done or rest services go to hell and people are unhappy and people, you know what I mean? Or you get fired. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh man, I never thought of that. I
0: like that. I would have never made it in the military. I'll be a hundred percent honest. I do not. I would have not done well.
1: Uh, I don't know, man. You're you're super fit, so uh, I think you would have been. Fine. I don't
0: think it's the fit component <laughs> that would been my problem.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. No. That you know, and that's what I've done. If I wasn't in cooking, I would either be in law enforcement or military. My brother's a LAPD officer, and um, there's a long history of, uh, of of familial friends and family that are, are, are military and police officers in our in, in our in our circle.
0: So. A lot of people out there, when when you look at cooking as a whole, right? There's a lot of people who look and go, I can do that. Or how come they're on TV? And how did they get there? And oh, that looks a lot easier than they make it seem. You know, it's not, that's not that hard. I kind of want, would really love for you to give everybody an understanding of how you got to where you are now, because it's like, you've paid your dues. Like you've done and worked your ass off for years to be where you are now and, and you are doing some really fun stuff consistently and i think not only on television but out of television you know you and your wife are doing a whole slew of different things I, I really would love you to share how you got to where you are now you got it and then what and you know what you gave up to get there too because i think that's a thing that people forget right it's like you've made it to where you are now because you gave up things to get there
1: and we thought about that a lot you know, for sure. Um, so, I'm going to give you the Cliff's notes to not bore our audience or your audience. Um, I think this is one of the best podcasts in the business because it's so raw and real. Um, so, here, here's the real short story. My family immigrated here in 1966, Thai Chinese immigrants. Um, the highest level of education in my family was a, a junior college. Uh, where it was an AA. And um, we have been in the grocery and restaurant business for three generations, for over 100 years now. Uh, My parents, my grandparents escaped China, moved to Thailand, to Bangkok. My father's family moved to Bangkok. So you think about these Chinese immigrants in a new city and uh, what do you do? You create food from your city, right? And it becomes a a place to congregate. It creates community. So my family's Hainanese Chinese. So we had a little Hainanese cafe in Bangkok. Uh, My dad's born there. My mom's born there separately, right? Um, 66, they both immigrate here because of the politics of Thailand being, um, you know, uh, allies to America during the Vietnam War. Um, A lot of Thais start to immigrate here. My family came in, first group, and they met here. We opened the first Thai grocery store and some of the first Thai uh, restaurants in the history of this country. This is 1972 and 78. The restaurant, the, the market's in 70. Two and the the restaurants in seventy eight. Um, That's jumping years ago. I'm I was born in seventy two. That's right. The year you were born, we had a, a six hundred square foot little store called Bangkok Market in LA, and it was it was a little trading post. And stop me anytime, dude. I bet, you Oh, know. this is great. Yeah.
0: This this is this to me is what's really important. I think things weren't handed to you on a silver platter. You've had to work to get where you are. And I think there's definitely a disconnect with the amount of work that goes into what we do to getting to where we are. And it's like, I think it's easy to cast stones. It's easy to watch a show and say, I can do it better than that. Cause no, actually it's really a lot harder than you think we make.
1: it's the it's hardest thing. So in the world.
0: hard. <laughs>
1: you know, I, I'm gonna have to go off topic for a second because I don't think anyone's ever flipped it on you on your own show. And I'm and I'm, I'm known for doing this. I did this to Alton Brown and his cast, and uh, and other people. So I've been a fan of Chris Cosentino for over 20 years. Right before, I, I, as a cook, uh, Chris is you're you're in a generation a few years, just a few years older than me. Right, like I would have been a freshman when you were, you were a senior kind of thing. But like watching your life. Do you feel that way? Because I think there's a perception of television chefs. Um, There's a group that have never really like crushed it, killed it, burned it like we did, like the 10,000 hours in restaurant kitchens. And then uh, that have kind of just made it because they're great on TV. And that's another skill and I don't take anything away. Um, So how does it make you feel as a chef that did both bro, that went to Europe, killed yourself, and 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 the tv um, do you, do you ever do you ever go like my road was harder than a lot of people's or i mean you know and when when people go dude i could do that how does it make you feel cousin tito <laughs> thanks
0: <laughs> i know uh, i think you know as you know i i it all for me it all happened by doing um, Iron Chef, yep. right? I got asked to go on Iron Chef. Battled Mario, uh,
1: battled so previous Mario. to that. You had this. You were already a well-known uh, chef. I guess, like, I don't, I don't. You're, he's modest, dude. You're modest. I'm gonna say I knew who you were and I followed your career. So, so it was. It was, going on TV was
0: was like I just wanted to compete on Iron Chef. That was yeah. my thing, right? Like, it was amazing. Like going there and you know I fucking had a white rooster. You remember yeah. I had a plate, Rooster Mohawk so. I showed up with my check like Italian checker checker tablecloth Shelto Adidas like I love it ready to rock um, and then it just kind of spiraled from there and, and I looked at television as an opportunity to put more butts in seats
1: mm-hmm. marketing tool right
0: it's a marketing tool and it, it it kind of backfired on me um, at that time in what way Um, people stopped you know there was this perception I wasn't in my own restaurant that I was and this was a different time I mean this was years ago right and then I had my own series with our own Sanchez and then I quit tv I quit tv for a long time got it and and, you know um I think there's now I'm kind of entering back and I'm having fun again and I think it's just different you know I, I think you know, um, Top Chef Masters was the first time I came back to TV and I had been away for like four years
1: plus. That could be great.
0: Yeah, I just, Top Chef Masters was like, hey, I can go here. There's no shenanigans. That does not mean Brian Malarkey for all of you folks out there. When I say shenanigans, it <laughs> does not mean Brian Malarkey. What uh, that means is, is that means no more games and no yeah. goofing off. Cooking. cooking. I just wanted to cook um and you know that kind of reopened the door again i had a lot of fun i cooked with some great people in las vegas and um that's where i met shirley for the first time
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's where we both met shirley so yeah. i didn't mean to derail this convo i can get back on my story but no no it's, let, it's a
0: back, nobody gives us two shits about what i have to say That's not true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah.
1: all right if you want i'll pick your brain later but i love it man um so I'll keep going, but if you want, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, no, like, I think it's really important. Like
0: you, you start, so the, you had the, the, the family owned grocery yeah. store and then came the restaurant.
1: Yeah. So, so, okay. So I basically did my apprentice. I had multiple apprenticeships at the same time in the context of what we do for a living. You used to have to apprentice to, to your careers, right? You, there was no culinary school back in the day. Right. So we had a grocery store, which was 5,000 SKUs of all Southeast Asian ingredients. So I get basically got to learn the encyclopedia of Asian, Southeast Asian food in those ten years, fifteen years, we had restaurants, so I got to work my way up from, from uh, cleaning toilets to dishwasher, all the way up to every single position in a restaurant. So I we had farms partnerships in Mexico in the Central Valley, so I saw the unique ingredients for you guys. Like, and I think that's really important
0: to talk about because Southeast Asian herbs are almost impossible to yeah. find, especially at that time. And they're still difficult. It's hard to find wing beans. It's hard to find cilantro
1: or whatever herb you want to call it. Yeah,
0: like those things are very, very important that I, I think that's huge because, you know, you go to Southeast Asia and people are, what is this herb? And they're like bitter herb, sour herb, sweet herb. Well, what's that? one? That one's
1: bitter herb too. No, no, no. It's got a different name. What's the name? No bitter, right? (laughs) It's its own encyclopedia, right? Like, and I was learning multiple encyclopedias Concurrently, from the from age like five until twenty, right? So I had literally twenty years of just ingredient knowledge and cooking knowledge. So we were vertically integrated. I didn't even know what that word meant, but my dad was this visionary who later turned it the other way, which we should get to in this podcast. We will, um, right? And so my dad was this, this genius. He's he's really credited for starting Thai food in America. Um, and then uh, so then it, the seventies become the nineties. And the 90s um, started the California cuisine movement, right? And then all of these chefs were infusing Asian foods, all the chefs we both know, are infusing Asian foods into their French and Mediterranean food. And there was only one grocery store in Los Angeles where they could get everything, and that was the Bangkok market.
0: So that's where Joachim Splishal used to send his staff, right? Joachim, I,
1: mean, I know the story. Right? Oh, you do know the story?
0: I know the story of of Joaquin, that was part of that station's job, to stop at your market to get the ingredients. <laughs> if I'm correct, it was for lobster Harahan.
1: Uh, Yes, and many other things, right? And, and you the first I guy? know that
0: shit? How do you know this story, dude? That's crazy. I worked with Tracy Desjardins for years. Oh. She used to tell me. Scott, Scotty Newman, Paul Ehrenstam, and oh my God. That's, That's
1: crazy. Jeff
0: Inahara. All those guys used to tell me the stories of how Joaquin would make people go to the store as part of their, you're on your way to work, you pick up your mise en place from the store and it was for lobster air hand. I think it was for foie gras mango with,
1: um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, i don't even know the dishes i just knew what they came and got so this is amazing
0: yeah so like i i can remember hearing all these stories working with tracy and scott and paul because they all worked at patina and the stories were priceless how they used to have to go pick up their ingredients on the way to work from that dude
1: and who was the kid who spoke english who was the son of the owners
0: (laughs) You were dealing with
1: them And, and and then from that was the patina group right and then we had from wolf uh kazudo wow. uh bright lee um matt everyone had to come to my market and and that's how i met every chef in la did you meet hero with like
0: chinois on maine and all that oh stuff?
1: absolutely we were the only spot when they needed long beans when they needed like morning glory dude wow i was the decipherer of all these ingredients dude
0: <laughs> that's really cool because I mean, there's also the morning glory tool, right? Where you run yeah. the rod through and you pull it, and it
1: comes Exactly. It's, so it's, I
0: picked those up when I was in when when I went to Vietnam. There's so much cool things about food that I think are so powerful, and it's like, I don't. This is really big stuff that I don't know if if. People really know this deep history. I no, think it's really- no,
1: we are, we are. You and I are getting deep into California cuisine, right? Like, yeah, the, the, the building blocks of, of it all was was my store was right in the middle of it. Um, so we could jump ahead a few years. So I'm 19. Uh, I'm 20, right? And um, and I basically started teaching cooking classes out of my out of the grocery store, out of my mom's backyard, right? Because around that time. Barbara Hansen, who wrote the LA Times Asian beat, was like, Thai food was starting to get popular. Like, to, to cook, not just to dine at. Yeah. Um, I put I, I, I printed out little paper flyers at the store. Like, $35, I'll teach you three courses, and you come to my mom's backyard. And it was all curry, pad thai, pad CU. This is and amazing. I, yeah, this is, the, this is pre-culinary school. Pre-working in commercial restaurants. I'm like 19 years old. And um, Barbara Hansen snuck in because she was a a frequenter of the market, wrote a cover story of of my cooking class. And in that first weekend, I got like a thousand phone calls because it was the LA Times Wednesday food section. And it was a cover story about me teaching cooking classes and kind of spreading the the history and tradition of my family. And that was the moment I needed to go to culinary school, like real...
0: so let's talk about you just said something that i think is really important you and i grew up with the wednesday food section yes the la times the new york times yes Washington post exactly right and if you didn't read those you got a good bollocksing at the restaurant you were working at because everybody or you would have to like i was too broke as a cook (laughs) <laughs> when, all right, I'm gonna give you a good one. When I first met my wife, I was working at Red Sage for Mark Miller in Washington D.C. Right. I used to. <laughs> she lived in a major complex, like a like this big building, out not too far. But it was in D.C. proper, right near near yeah. um, Mount Pleasant. But when I would have to go to work, I was an opening production cook in the kitchen but I was too broke. Right. Totally. I, I made my first job out of culinary school. I turned down a $40,000 a year sous chef job. This was in 94.
1: Wow, a Huge job.
0: $9 an hour as a prep cook to work for Mark Miller. I thought my mom was going to beat me to death because <laughs> I had all these debts and I, I'm moving to DC for nine bucks an hour. Uh, yeah. But when I would leave, be, and this is like, you know, no cell phones. Let's just put this into perspective, right? This is 94. I totally. would leave her apartment and I would walk down the halls, and the newspapers would be in front of them. <laughs> I would filter through somebody's newspaper on Wednesday, take the food section, leave the paper, just the food section, and ride my bike to work. And then
1: amazing. That was I, your way.
0: That was my only way to read it. And then I would share it with the team. Who was coming into work and then i'd fold it up and bring it home and then you know she would have a copy in the office but and at that time tatiana was mark miller's marketing director and well, assistant get out of here so but i just couldn't afford it but it was no part, i get it it was part of the questions in yeah. the kitchen right like hey did you see the new york times today did you read that review
1: that doesn't happen as much anymore. Like, well, well, we 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 grew up in the age of no internet, right? Everything yeah. is instantly right here. When we were nineteen and twenty and twenty-one, there was no information exchange. There was no one place, so we had to read the newspaper every Wednesday to Everything know what's going
0: on. And if a friend went to a restaurant, you'd get them to take the menu. Can I see the menu? You make photocopy. <laughs> right?
1: Like I that it. was a
0: different time, and I think oh, yeah. the New York Times is still. Wednesday food section super important yep I think all the all those things like really paying attention I, I think it's important you know it do I I feel that sometimes that moment of sitting down and reading that paper and having coffee is like really important it sets the tone. yeah, time.
1: yeah. It, it also makes you feel grown up there's a point where you're not a cook and you're a chef now and you actually can sit and drink coffee and watch your people do what they do and read the newspaper. You know what I mean? There's also that rite of passage. I think we get to whatever age that is. You know what
0: I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah. crazy to, like, think about. But the Those are science talk science. about, being, do you still have that, Matt? Do you still have that paper?
1: I'm staring at the article right now. Yeah. Like, That's awesome. I had it framed and it was something something 1998. I mean, that'll put it into perspective how long ago that was dude yeah 1998
0: so I had already moved to California
1: you were because there's about four or five years between us I think
0: yeah so I moved I had just moved to San Francisco in 96 and I was working at Rubicon
1: crazy, man. So I finished culinary. I went to culinary school, nothing, not a fancy one here in LA because I couldn't afford to go to CCA at that time, which was like great in California and uh, CIA obviously, but I didn't have any money. You know what I mean? There was just my, my grandmother, you know, God bless her soul, passed away. Who was like my big culinary teacher and I dropped out of high school. You know what I mean? I fucked off high school and, uh, you know, an Asian kid dropping out of high school, not favorable to begin with um I mean you know let's be real uh, so my grandma passes right around that time and I'm like the article comes out I'm starting to get a tiny bit of attention in my little city and I'm like I'm gonna put I she left me 20 grand and to me that was like that could have been a 100 grand right um and I'm like I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this bet on culinary school so I went to this local culinary school um but what did I do when I came out I knew every single chef in LA because they shopped at my grocery store so instead of going right into a restaurant, I went to work for Russ Parsons at the newspaper. I wanted to write articles, I wanted to get published. So I spent about a year and a half at the times. So that was my, my real first job at a culinary school. Was, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, dude, I wrote articles, I tested recipes. Uh, and then I worked at, uh, for Neil Fraser at Grace. Yep. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I worked at Hungry Cat first stint, yeah. And then, uh, and then that's when uh, I, I, I got, with um, you know Jim Dodge, who was the chef of the Stanford Court pastry chef then, and he was at Bon Appetit, and then I basically traveled all over America, creating the Asian you know programs for multi- big tech companies and and big corporate. So I went I went into corporate like big food service. So um.
0: that's um, you just connected a dot with me that I don't think we realized we, had, which is Jim Dodge.
1: Oh man, what's your Jim Dodge connection?
0: Um, I met Jim Dodge. God, I can't even remember how many years ago. Um, and then I'll never forget, I was, it was at Encanto. I'd only been there for a little bit and Jim Dodge comes into the night.
1: And he was the man, right? I mean, these are the times was, when everyone knew Jim Dodge. At
0: everybody movie. knew Jim Dodge. Jim Dodge walks in and I <laughs> am like shaking, right? Right. And for the folks who don't know who Jim Dodge is, let's just like, yeah. I think he is an icon. I mean, he set the bar for breads and pastries and just really, really worked towards changing the perception of Mm -hmm. culinary and large-scale dining. He went from baking and pastry, training thousands of people all over the country to be the best. I mean, you can buy his books. Like, he's just, he's amazing. He sits down in the dining room, and he sat down with Tina Salter from Hmm. BS. She brought him in to have dinner and I was
1: so nervous. It was one of those meals where you just shit in your pants.
0: Yeah, and it's like now, I'm sure people are like, Jim Dodge?
1: No one would even know anymore. Not in this generation.
0: No. I remember shaking, cooking for him. And we became friends (laughs) after that. And it just became like, he brought Fergus Henderson to Encanto.
1: That's right. Probably because of a Bon Appetit tour of America or something like that.
0: Correct. And he need yes. to eat. He said, "Chris, I hear you're doing this head to tail dinner. Can I bring you Fergus and Trevor?" And I was just like, "I
1: love you." I love you. <laughs> and he's like, well, I "You got you Chris. You were our Fergus because I remember I'm in that sub generation. Fergus was doing it in England." You were the guy that we all knew was doing it here. So that's the nether connector, brother. That's why I was such a big fan.
0: I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I'll never forget Jim's in, the, Jim's in the dining room and Fergus, like people were freaking out in the streets. This was a, yeah. like people were lining up to come into the restaurant. Um, we used to sell out, you know, the head to tail dinners like that. And people had heard Fergus was coming. So, I mean, there was a fucking line down the street and I'm shitting myself. Because to me, it's Jim, right? But it's yeah. furious. I'm He's like, oh, God. I'm going to wet the bed. It's going to be over, and I've got a kid in the kitchen. You know, I've got a great team, and we're all humped. And there was one particular course I'll never forget it was a it was a block of head meat that it was like a trio, right? Uh, of you know, head and tongue or whatever, and and. John Relihan, he was one of the interns. He was the first intern to leave 15 in London and come to the United States. He worked for me. In total, it was about eight years. And he had been with me, <laughs> we were on like a year, just at a year, and I and he's looking out there and he's like, oh, oh, Chef, oh, oh my God. You know, thick County Perry accent. Oh man, you know, I uh, uh, that's, uh, Fergus is out there. I was like, yeah, John i know come on fuck all let's go kid come on we're working and it's an open kitchen and he misses the order in oh man And, and the the thing about that the block of head meat is you had to start to sear it and just render it in the oven so it got crispy on all sides forever yeah it took time and there was like basting involved in a process and i looked in the in the past it's like literally there's like a plate stack above me, and I can slide my head in. And I'm like, John, how long? And he's like, five minutes. And I look at the clock. Oh, my. John, how long? Five minutes. And then I started getting louder because I was getting frustrated because I was nervous. I'm like, so scared. And, you know, Fergus has Parkinson's, and this is prior yeah. to his um, implant. So he's having tremors. And I'm like, fuck, man, we need to get him some food. You got to hurry up. And we didn't have Fernet and he kept taking cigarette breaks because that calmed his nerves. And finally, I was just like, fuck it. Send somebody down the street, go buy a bottle of Fernet, put it on his table, it'll calm his nerves. I don't give a shit. I don't want him having tremors. And right. and uh, I finally, I look in and I just go, John Relihan, give me head right now. <laughs> not even thinking what I'm saying. And John's like, it's not ready. I was like, I want head now now John- can i In the open, open, kitchen. Oh. open kitchen full volume the entire dining room looks over and i'm like oh that was loud can I- <laughs> you thought about what you said I- it took me a minute to process and i come back and it finally the dish it's out it's all good we're the pro and you know it was a multitude of things right like everything else was moving i didn't have the ability to flip a table you know, like, you know,
1: like,
0: yeah, couldn't play the game. I almost had a heart attack. And <laughs> then, of course, I go to the table and Fergus goes, so do you ask all your employees to give you head? And I was like, <laughs> I just put my head down in shame. And I was like, I was asking for the dish, Fergus. And he goes, I know, but I don't think the dining room understood what you oh, were.
1: Oh, man, and that terrible <laughs> 10 minutes is like one of the best stories of your life. I mean, think about that. Still to this day. To this day. About it. Oh my god. You know, and, and most people don't know Fergus Henderson or Jim Dodge anymore. Like okay. that generation of chef is gone. And and the, what a cool connector between us. I, I spent That's That's uh, I spent three years, I spent three years of my life on the road to the gym and openings and trainings and you know, um, tech and and universities were blowing up, and no one was doing high end volume food. Yeah, and that's what I was doing. I was doing Asian cafes everywhere in the country, and then I'll fast forward. I came back, and uh, I was asked by um, uh, <clears throat> Steve Wynn to go open Encore Hotel. So that's where you and I also have a Vegas connection. Yeah. So I was executive chef Asian dining at Encore from um, two thousand in like two thousand seven till two thousand eleven. And that's where I, I did my time there. And whilst I was at Encore, I was asked to battle Morimoto on Iron Chef. So here's all the connectors, bro. <laughs> oh. Oh my
0: God, that is hysterical. I'll
1: that's go hilarious. back. Let's go back to the dark times really quick. Okay. So so let's, okay. So can you please state your last name? Uh, my full and true last name is I go by Tila, but my real last name is Tila Kamankul.
0: And why is now your last name Tila? Uh, In
1: 2004 or 2003, uh, I was, I just dropped out of high school and I was ridiculously making trouble all over Los Angeles. And I come home and my parents are, are basically frantically burning documents in the chimney, and I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" And I've never told this story on on a, on a on a broadcast before, and you, I told, I promised you in the car this would be the first time. My father was known for importing Thai food, first guy in the in in America, in this entire country of ours. Um, to 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 break rules, he paid this customs officer to smuggle in containers of clothing from body glove that we all know those brands at our age for for manufacturers in Thailand. And he's like, we're moving to Thailand in a week and you're coming with us because we are in big trouble. And I'm like, fuck you guys, I'm not moving to Thailand. There's no way, she's like, The law is going to, you know, basically that morning, the customs raided my family's business, right? Guns, the whole deal, bunch of people, search warrant, the whole deal. And my father was um, charged with smuggling. And um, my entire life basically was upside down. I come home and I'm like, we're leaving. And I'm like, I'm not going. So... To As I got into my chef career, my cooking career, I started getting published at the LA Times. I knew that my my name was going to be on the masthead on bylines. So I changed my name to Tila from Tila Kamankul. There you go, Cousin Tino. And I mean, that's serious
0: shit. Like, it's no joke.
1: Yeah, no, no. it, It was real. So...
0: I mean, we're laughing about it in jest right now because we had the conversation in the car and I knew this was coming and like we discussed being able to talk about this, but that's a big deal. And I mean, you're a young man and mm-hmm. you have to like change your last, or, like height will cut your last name in right. and right. really kind of shift yourself. And then it's.
1: That's a lot. I mean, imagine that this family business, it was well-regarded and kind of world-renowned all of a sudden you think it's all going to go away and your entire reputation as a person through your name, through your family is going to be tainted for life. Right. So, so basically what we did was just after they, they did go to Thailand, by the way, my, my family basically packed all their shit and left this country. And I went with him for that initial few months yeah with, with, with never no intentions of ever staying. And subsequently, what he did was shitty and he did break the law. I will, we all, he, he needs to come to Jesus with that, right? I was not involved, I was 17 years old. Um, but it wasn't drugs, he didn't kill anyone, right? um and uh and we they basically had to rebuild the part of the business that was was always legitimate but the one thing that he did as an as an idiot will always be the black mark and to this day my father's never been back so all those times that those people that are listening to this podcast and watching going hey where's your dad and what are you doing i've made excuses for 20 20 years about my dad's always oh, retired he's happier and the in the other country this is the real my dad can never come back or he has to face these these charges and you know which shapes you as a man right because if you you know me and i think a lot of people watch me on tv i'm about owning my mistakes and taking responsibility so it's it's shame it, there's shame there when i'm i'm cut from that cloth and my father clearly there were parts of him that wasn't so so through, through my entire formidable years from 17 to 40 something I had to struggle with the shame and still build this business and start from zero we did really well. we were really poor we did really well then we lost everything again and then I had to rebuild so there, there there's a lot of lessons there a lot to unpack
0: (laughs) and all to smuggle in bright pink and green oh the worst of just for that band that used to sing back when we were in college, right? What was that band?
1: Uh, oh, you know. God, was it? Yeah. Uh,
0: we'll remember that band. Yeah. I remember they sang when I was in, when I was in college once. I mean, yeah, I
1: mean, if you if you dig into the case, guys, and now that it's all coming out, if you look at this case in my last name, the, the customs guy was actually moving dope for, like, all these other like, smarter people than my dad, like- Smuggling clothes. Yeah, he was, the dude wanted to smuggle clothes for like a few G's a shipment, when these dudes were probably making millions of shipments, and so when the finally, the guy finally got busted, guess who he rolls on? The guy who's got no mob ties, who thinks he's smart, but he's just a ghetto kid from Bangkok. So they basically rolled on my dad and, and you know, it is what it is. So just to be very clear, I had, I was 17 years old. I was 14 when he started to do all that. This had nothing to do with me.
0: No, no, and I think that's, I think it's, but what I, what the point is, and then you talking about this, I think is really about, you know, talking about what you went through as a kid to get where you are today. That's but it. that has that has long-lasting impressions on you, personally, physically, and mentally, which makes you become the person you are today.
1: Yeah, nothing steals you and and forges you and tempers you like trauma, right? And 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 the positives are you're tough as hell. Nothing can phase you when you when you're when you're self-rebuilt. No one has anything. The 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 negative parts are the goddamn trauma that it created that I have to, I had to work through these last 20 years. And that's a whole nother conversation about chefs and mental health. Because yes, I had my shit, but I know for a fact that a majority of us that, that have worn the whites and had done this for a living, we struggle a lot with addiction and a lot of other mental, because of our trauma. So I don't think I'm any more extraordinary than anyone else. I'm just here to share my story, then you can overcome any in, in that bullshit.
0: And, and I think that's really important because we we all look at, you know, I've heard people say this all the time, be nice because you don't know what somebody else is going through. And I think that's a really, really important saying because nobody knows what's going on. Right. And I mean, you know, you and I talked about this. We talked about this on our last, you know, shoot time, like about mental health and, you know, how I addressed it. And I'm, totally comfortable saying I go to crazy school and I take crazy pills and um, not to be crazy to to curb the crazy Um, you know that's why I haven't had a drink in three and a half years because it affects the medicine I think it's all really understanding who you are so you can make better steps to move forward it's not it's life is not about looking backwards it's about looking forwards and if you can correct with each step of the way you're making progress
1: you nailed it dude um whenever you're talking to your fellow person right you don't know what the, shit, the the shit that they're going through they don't know what you're going through so i think that's what kind of you and i instantly hit it off because i think we have a very generally the same attitude right like be your best self don't crush on people for ego and you know treat people how they treat you but i think we always give the person the benefit of the doubt because we've gone through so much crap in our lives that, that you know you can just assume that a lot of people are probably going through the same thing. And it's just so much easier to make friends than enemies. And if you have to make an enemy, go for it because someone pro- pro- like provoked you, right? I mean, I'm known for being aggressive when it's the right time, but I'm not, that's not my first foot. My first foot is being kind, humble, right and hungry and then after that then you know so uh, anyway it's a lot man we've unpacked so much <laughs> <laughs> a can't,
0: can't can't
1: words. We're actually it's been good
0: so let's talk about like right now you have been you know you have two cookbooks out you've done i mean we could with the shows i mean we, i can't i don't have i have to take off my shoes to get all the numbers of shows you're you're doing um but uh so how did that all start? Like. You did more, you battled Morimoto and then it started rolling from there, right? Yeah, so
1: 1999, um, so going back to around all this time the shit went down with my family and I went to culinary school. Um, You know, living in LA uh, gives you, cooking in LA, um, and I think anyone who cooks in LA in the 90s will tell you, you are always around television personalities. So either behind the camera, in front of the camera, whatever. So I met a, a pretty big deal producer at that time. So my, just, Ridiculous trivia. My first time on Food Network was a show called um, The Best of, and I was I was pimping pad Thai kits. I, I created the first Thai website in the right. And but the funny thing is, the segment next to mine was a personal chef service, and it was a dude named Andrew Zimmer, <laughs> who was a personal chef at that time. That was a very different Andrew than you all know now. Trust me, those of us that have known Andrew a long time, it was a, a different Andrew. Um, jump ahead, Morimoto. Iron shrimp, i almost beat the guy so i don't know i lost by two points right i think i should have won that's a whole nother conversation i
0: have to say i mean i lost by one point I say- exactly that's why i bring
1: it up because we both lost like you lost by one um i i wanted to leave cooking because i met the woman of my dreams and and when you ask what do you give up to do this you give up family you give up personal time you you can't have a restaurant and restaurants and an empire, a micro empire, and, and be there for your kids and your wife 100%. You have to pick one or the other. So I spent most of my life in the business because my family was in it. We have very, a terrible relationship. So once I I decided to marry the woman of my dreams, I decided to leave cooking. I left Vegas, and when I got to LA, um, you know, at that point, Jada De Laurentiis hooked me up with William Morris, and I got an agent. And my first, tel- my first pitch, uh, my agent was like, hey, there's a television show we want you to try out for it to judge. It's, 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 it's Cutthroat Kitchen with Alton Brown. And that was it. That was the phew. I, I judged Cutthroat Kitchen for many, many episodes. The show had a 200 episode run. Alton and I became very, very close friends. And that led to meeting Bobby on um, Food Network Star, which led to meeting Guy. And, um, you know, I just, I just sit down, take notes, do my job and, and know that, and you and I know that, but people need to know that cooking is a muscle. Television is a muscle. They're not the same muscle. We have to learn both things, right?
0: Oh my God, it's so different. Like, (laughs) I always love when you're doing, right? I always love that moment. You're, you're in like the thick of it and they come over and I love Simon, but he's like, what you working on? Yeah. How about fuck off, Simon? (laughs) I like you can't. And you you know you can't. You have to be able to process. And that's what we're thinking in our head at the moment. Like, I just need to get this done. Please don't make me talk. But we've learned to be able to communicate. And that is the hardest thing to do ever.
1: It is the hardest thing. And that's why, like, Guy and Alton and Bobby are masters because. they're phenomenal, really the top 0.1% at doing that. So those of you that think you could cook, screw, like, fuck off, man. And those who think you could just be on TV because you're great, like, fuck off. Because those are two such really difficult things to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just being honest, man. <laughs> it's
0: so funny to think, like, you're doing this stuff and you're like, oh, man, I almost got, I, yeah, there's moments where I was next Iron Chef. I literally ran the cameraman over and i that's a whole
1: nother show i want to just sit there and talk to you about for an hour because i just gave
0: two fucks about that dude because he like kept poking me and bugging me and then i burned myself and i just ran him straight ran him clean over (laughs) went straight through they were like you weren't supposed to do that i was like well you shouldn't have touched me
1: oh my god dude i almost
0: got like no more tv fit in but that you know that was also a very different time and i was also a very different person and um it's hard Cooking and and talking while still preparing, I mean, let's... let's yeah, and it, while
1: entertaining, by the way. We're not yeah. just talking. We have to be funny, verbose, animated, exciting, all can of these can you. Can you give us a catchphrase? Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't have one yet. I don't have... have that's you, why... was yeah. like, oh my God, that was a great sound bite. I was like,
0: oh... I don't want another soundbite. Can I just finish my dish? I've only got three minutes.
1: It's amazing, dude.
0: And that I think people don't realize that. Let's talk about that for a minute. Like how true it really is, right? Like when we're doing, let's use Tournament of Champions, right? Like we were both at Tournament of Champions season two. The wheel spins. We don't know what it is prior. You don't know what you're going to get. Like it is for real, right? Yeah,
1: it's legit. It's, it's legit. legit the, one of the harder shows,
0: and it's it's impossible. Like, okay, let's compare it to other shows, right? Like, let's say you have a challenge and you have to use, and I'll use I'll use Top Chef Masters for example because it's something that we've seen, or or let's just use Iron Chef, right? Your battle <laughs> is your ingredient because it's similar, what? right? You have an ingredient you have one hour five dishes right go those are your five dishes yeah those you've cooked them, here and you brought two of your people to help them. To cook them with you but it's coming from here so what it, just so everybody understands they reveal the ingredient and then they stop down for one minute. You get one minute okay. for them to recover the stuff to do the redo, and then you run up and grab it. In that one minute, you're sitting there leaning over to your people and going, This is what you're gonna grab, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna grab this equipment, this, 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 this. And then you stand back, they're like, set, go! And then everybody just runs and it's full chaos. So, but at least with Iron Chef, you're cooking what you wanna cook.
1: And There's no parameters. Right? It's something you've made a hundred times, too. You hope. <laughs> yeah, right. You right? better have. Yeah. Now let's throw, let's put the TOC
0: or the guy's grocery games into oh, it.
1: TOC, yeah. We should talk about TOC, I think. Yeah. because
0: so Tournament of Champions, we will call it the picky diner. That's what I like to call that wheel. It's nice. picky diner. It's like that worst guest in the world who comes in and says, I want this with that, but it has to be like this, and I need it now.
1: That's pretty much what that's the, exactly what it is. And not just the what thing. I want to eat, what I want you to use as a tool yeah. to cook that thing.
0: And, and so that's like somebody saying, you know, I want egg whites, but you can't use any fat to cook them. Go for it. Like, right.
1: Thanks. Yeah. And use <laughs> and use a chinois somewhere. on <laughs> yeah. Your egg whites. <laughs> the
0: biggest I think the difficulty that people don't understand is like, yeah, the protein and the vegetable, fine, whatever. We can all deal with that. Mm-hmm. As soon as you put in the style, yep. that's the that's the that's the kink, the tool we can all figure out.
1: Sometimes
0: that, <laughs> sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. No spoilers way. Yeah, exactly. But you're exactly right, dude. It, it's hard. It, it is, is so hard. hard
0: and it really is the time. Like the time is the time.
1: And some it- some shows in, in the history of food world, not food network, but in all the channels. I'm sure some shows have had a little producer help and some shows have had this or that. Tournament is raw. You have no, and and it, and all the stress is real and it's hard as hell.
0: It's hard. It's hard. And then then we have grocery games, which is another. okay? So totally. you and I were fortunate enough to get to feed guy eggs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was right? Oh. That was a rough, that was a rough day. And I almost had, and we had, I had to feed him liver and which never made the air. <laughs> oh, no, actually,
0: no, we didn't get to feed him eggs. We got to do the awful challenge.
1: Yes, it was awful.
0: It was awful challenge. I'm getting the two confused because they were like two weeks apart.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause you had eggs and awful. I, mean, I had I mean, eggs and awful. Dude, you had the double whammy. I've only had awful.
0: And, but that was so fun for us because there was no competitive element. I think that Guy's Ranch was a lot of fun for us because it's truly just cooking and hanging out.
1: I think it's one of the best shows on Food Network to be honest with you. I think, A, you get to see camaraderie between friends. Yep. B, you get to see what chefs are really good at. And, and, and th- just those two things alone, it's like basically having a kitchen session with, with chefs that you, that you like. And yeah. I think that's why it's a really great show.
0: Really fun so what have you got going on right now what do you what do you you know um, you okay the books. why don't you give every why don't you give a shout out on the two books
1: yeah let's let's do plugging um so we have two current books um as of recording this um uh, i have 101 asian dishes uh, you need to cook before you die uh and, and again it's, it's bestseller it's been around forever if you want to learn how to cook asian food um, and, and you want it non-intimidating, but you want to be authentic. That's the book. And then my wife and I wrote a book called 101 Epic Dishes, which is Basically, how to make you a better cook in general, right? So my wife was a teacher for 15 years, preschool special ed, and then LAUSD. I was a teacher for 20 years, um, you know, uh, cooking. And so 101 is the whole play on words. It's a pun about school. Um, so January 25th, 2022, is that next year? Yeah, basically in a few weeks from now, um, my third book is coming out. It's called 101 Thai Dishes. So it's basically the the roadmap for everybody. To really either start cooking Thai or just get really good at cooking Thai food, and and those are the three books, brother. Thanks for letting me plug.
0: No, of course. I think these. I mean, they're and they're great, great, educational and easy to follow. I think a lot of times cookbooks can be difficult. Look, I'm not gonna. Mine's fucking hard, right? Opal, good. Go get a, uh, go yeah. get a, a cow's udder. Here's how right. to. Cook. Cows somebody's like what the fuck is wrong with you i think that there's definitely cookbooks out there that are great to have they're yeah. great to put on your coffee table and then there's ones that get really fucking dirty and to me they all have their place but what i really awesome. love about your books is that they are 100 percent accessible for everyone and yeah even if you think you know what you know there's more to learn and I think that is the most important part about our careers and culinarily is we always learn. We're always getting better at what we do.
1: Yeah, my, my number one passion in life is uh, outside of my family's teaching. So I'm going to be one of those dudes that retires in about 20 years and probably just work at a culinary school. I just I want to teach people how to do things every day. So um, these, these books are my 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 way to be able to have something out there 24 hours a day that teaches people that can hopefully shape the way they cook and and that's it man i mean that, and so so we'll, we'll see what happens but i love writing books and i love teaching and and this is it i love getting to hang out with guys at like chris cosentino man so <laughs> this has been the thrill though honestly when i get to i pinch myself every single day like i sit there at a tournament and i look around and it's like you know, it's you and it's Faulkner and it's you know, like there's like there's a group of chefs where I'm like, I can't believe I'm here right now. And 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 what you don't get to see behind the scenes is the camaraderie and the community. And we all come from different parts of America. Not me and you per se, but we, we came from different generations. Twenty years ago, we didn't have time to chat together because we're both just killing ourselves working. And now we can sit there and and do this and create and, and just hang out. So um, it, it's, it's it's been amazing.
0: I think it's really fun to see like you know you have two children you know which that's a lot it's a handful we talked about that too
1: yeah oh yeah my, my wife's the saint because you know she keeps our keeps it all together uh, my daughter's blowing kisses from off camera right now yeah and uh, so um, yeah I mean, we have two young children too like you know I'm, I'm we're damn near 50 and our kids are both sub 10 so you know I gave my first 36 years to my career. And now I'm going to give my next 36 years to building family.
0: It's funny the other day, somebody said to me, you know, why don't you have more kids? And I said, well, I did have more kids. And they're like, what do you mean you did have more kids? I was like, I did. They're called employees. They're all children. They were all people that I was mentoring for so long. And now a lot of those people have gone on to really do great things, and I'm very excited to see that for them. But I worked so much that I felt like if I did have more kids, I would not be able to give the amount of time that's needed to people. Yeah.
1: one, one second, sweetheart. we're. No, oh, it's okay. Yeah, Say hi, hi to Uncle Chris. Hi. This is. A hi.
0: Nice. How you doing? Good. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Does dad need to help you with homework? I will be in a minute here. I'll be there in two seconds. I'll, love you. I'll be there in a few minutes.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's do quick rapid fire and then you can go do homework. Is it math? Let's, let's, do,
1: it, my, let's do it, my man. I you appreciate
0: it. Do you do math it. homework? What is it?
1: Uh, it's gonna be math for sure. Yes, I know, I know. High school dropout, bro. High school dropout.
0: Don't look at me. Try dyslexic guy trying to help your kid do algebra. Oh,
1: my oh God. dude, I couldn't even do it. Yeah. Okay, ready to go? I'm uh, ready for quick fire. Go. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Espresso or drip? Oh, I'm drip. I'm ghetto. Drip all day.
0: <laughs> uh, I, didn't drip.
1: I, ha- I didn't have an espresso nor a special drinks until my 20s. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. uh, dude, I, had, I remember government peanut butter. I remember government cheese. Number 10 cans of government peanut butter. Number 10, uh, five pound blocks of government cheese. We were poor. And, 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 and that's why Folgers, Crystals, and Sanka. Oh, yeah. Folgers, Grant. I know Folgers. Yeah. coffee. Boom, the-, the best. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> beer or wine?
1: Oh, uh, a wine, actually.
0: Red or white? Red. If you do have beer, dark or light?
1: Dark, for sure
0: dark for sure. Yeah.
1: Oysters or clams? Raw. Ooh, I'm clams all day and I'm going to get flamed for that, bro. Yes. I'm in to with raw clams on the half shell. Woo! Thank God, man, because we are the minority for sure.
0: Oh, for sure. Everybody's like, oh, they're too crunchy. All yeah. right. Shrimp or crawfish?
1: Oh, shrimp. Lobster or crab? I'm lobster over crab. Really? Yeah. Crab. Too much work, and only few crab are sweeter than lobster. Not all crab. Dungeon I...
0: crab though.
1: Ooh man, Chris, we were best friends until that. No, <laughs> okay. king crab. King crab, yeah. Dude, there's so many like
0: spider crabs, and then you yes. Dorchester crabs. Oh my god.
1: A paleo crab too. Snow crab I think is delicious. So oh, so much. Okay. And mean can go deep.
0: <laughs> yeah this could get really funny okay yeah noodles or pasta
1: Oh come on man you know like I think it's pasta I'm learning yeah exactly at, at four at 50 now I'm starting to get into pasta put put that in your brain it'll hurt like yeah
0: dumplings ravioli
1: I'm gonna go dumplings you're
0: gonna go dumplings yeah yeah.
1: I've eaten more dumplings than ravioli. Uh, in this age, I'm starting to understand Italian food. I haven't been to Italy yet. Don't kill me.
0: No, God. I mean, me.
1: Yeah, I, yeah.
0: I've never been to Thailand, but I've been to Vietnam.
1: Oh, there you go. That's the next show. Tell someone to make that a show. What? You and I go into. I take places. you to Thailand, you take me to Italy. We can do the noodle tour. It's pasta, dumplings, and pasta, bro.
0: Oh, my God. That could be really fun.
1: I know. All right. We got to, I'm going to make a note of that.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my God! Now I've like lost my track. Okay, hamburger, hot dog,
1: hamburger, ketchup or mustard. Oh man, people are gonna hate me, but I'm such a West Coast guy. Obviously, it's ketchup, dude. I put ketchup on hot dogs.
0: <laughs> ooh, 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 oh, 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 oh! I've lost all chef cred. Oh my God! Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that just hurt here. I'm sorry, uh, bro. Burrito, taco.
1: Taco. Beef or pork? Oh, pork. I can all day. Duck or chicken? Duck, duck, duck. No, no, no hesitation.
0: Fruit or chocolate? Oh, I'm fruit. Yeah. Diversity. Is so good with it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. If I, if I had to pick one for the rest of my life and cut the other, it'd be fruit all day.
0: Brown spirits, white spirits.
1: Ooh, that's a really good one. I drink more white spirits than brown. All the brown sounds more sophisticated.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> I used to have a saying, drink brown, it don't stay down.
1: Ah, that's a good one. That is true too. <laughs> that's, true. that's really true. It
0: never liked me. Oh <laughs> man, I was quite awful. Okay. Sea urchin caviar.
1: Oh man, that's a really hard one. I'm gonna go urchin. It's hard to find good urchin, but at their peak, urchin is best in my humble opinion.
0: What is your favorite fast food?
1: Kentucky fried chicken. (laughs) All day, every day. (laughs) Dude, I ate more fast food than cooked food for for a big big time in my life. Are you kidding?
0: actually like what's yours
1: i'm not gonna let this thing end until i know yours
0: okay uh i'm not done yet but i'll get okay okay go okay guilty pleasure
1: oh guilty pleasure um oh dude uh fried chicken wings it still goes back to kentucky fried chicken but um that's really a guilty pleasure of mine what would be your Oh, oh, oh oh stewed pig feet sorry
0: Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Five,
1: oh. spi- five spice braised pig's feet. Yeah.
0: Ooh, that sounds good. Okay. What would be your last meal?
1: Five spice braised pig feet and, and jasmine rice. That's it. The fattier, the better, like sp- splitting the trotter and just eating all the gristle and the fat in the skin. So good.
0: <laughs> okay. Last one. Favorite candy.
1: Oh man, I think I'm a Twix guy. Really? Very simple. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you went back to chocolate. Interesting. I
1: know, but candy, there's no fruit, really real fruit candy, right?
0: No, there's Swedish fish. That's a candy. No, wait, <laughs> that's not really. Oh, you? It's meant to taste like charity. Exactly.
1: <laughs> oh man. All right, before we wrap, what was your favorite fast food? Oh. <sighs> favorite fast food for me yeah. is
0: by far probably pizza
1: oh good one you didn't go brand i like that and then lastly what would be your last meal
0: that's straight up it's been the same thing for going on 20 years blood sausage duck egg grilled bread and here's mm. poached oysters in pork stock
1: man you you that was very specific and sounds delicious the
0: reason being it's 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 earth, sea, land, and air. It's all of it in one.
1: See, like you're smart, dude. That's how smart people you know are.
0: see that smart. It's just all those, it's all those flavors, the blood, but then it has the earthiness. You have the ocean from the oysters, but then you have the grains to make the bread. You know, it just and the duck egg, the bird. Like there's just. They all blend really well together. It's actually I used to run it on the menu. I used to call it Chef's Last Supper.
1: Oh man, I love it. I love it. Yeah. My last meal was my grandma's food. That that pig trotter was, was always made every week because it was cheap as hell and it was delicious.
0: Oh my god. Pig's feet. Pig's yeah. feet are magic. I love them. Always have. Yeah. Well, I know you have to go do math homework.
1: <laughs> That's right. I'm gonna go dad now and give my wife a dad, you know,
0: yeah, but thank I'll you, you very much for, for spending time with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah,
1: let's Go. hope we can connect soon. Chris, one of the best things about end of 2021 and the top of 2022 is be, be becoming your friend and getting to know you better. And, um, you know, you've been a, a true idol and inspiration for me for many years. And, um, and let's just continue this friendship, bro. And thanks to everyone else for out there for listening to my my crazy stories. And um, ha- have a great year. Like, happy, happy new year.
0: Happy new year, everybody. And, and Jed, thank you so much. Give my best to your family and I have a feeling I'm going to see you next week
1: I will see you next week bro take care cheers bye